Welcome everyone. I'm Beth Offenbacker, your host. Thank you for joining us for our interview with author, practitioner, and teacher Nick Waits. This interview was conducted as part of our occasional public forum book talk series. These book talks feature leading practitioners and thinkers in the field of community engagement. To learn more and register for future book talks, visit our website, publicdecisions.com. Most of these events are free of charge, and we'd love to have you join us. Let me tell you a little bit about Nick before we get started with our interview. Nick is the director of Nick Waits Associates, a community planning firm based in the United Kingdom. He's a leading authority on community participation and planning and architecture. Many of you may know Nick as the site editor of the community planning website, communityplanning.net, which has just been shortlisted for a 2009 award by the Royal Town Planning Institute. That site grew from his popular book, The Community Planning Handbook. He's also the author of the book, Community Architecture, and his latest book is the best-selling Community Planning Event Manual, How to Use Collaborative Planning and Urban Design Events to Improve Your Environment, published by EarthScan. We're glad to have you join us. Enjoy the interview. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Beth. Well, thanks again for the chance to talk today. Um, why don't we get started? Our first question is, can you give us a brief description of what a community planning event is, as there may be some listeners who haven't, haven't re yet read your book? Okay. Well, I think they can, they, the main thing is that they do vary from event to event. So the main purpose, though, is usually for a community to get together all the people that need to be involved in producing some kind of vision or plan for the future of that community and basically working out collectively what that vision should be and how it should be implemented. But in practice, it can take many forms. Okay. It can be a one-day meeting, it can be a, uh, several days, or it can be half a day. So how is a community planning event similar or different from a charrette? That's a phrase that we hear quite a bit in the United States. Well, I think, uh, I mean, most charrettes are community planning events, I would say. And I would say that most community planning events are charrettes. So I think that the, that it is just people are, have been experimenting with, with these kind of events in different parts of the world, different countries and people have come up with different names for them. Um, but the basic principles tend to be the same, in the sense that you have all the key stakeholders working together in a hands-on fashion, um, you know, working out what the problems are and how to solve them. Okay. So if, if someone is considering using a community planning event, could you describe some of the benefits and drawbacks that are associated with them so that, say, they need to take that decision to someone else in their organization, they can really think through, is this a good fit for, for what we're working on? Okay. I mean, I think the main um, advantage is that you, by getting everybody who needs to be involved in the room at the same time, um, and by devising a, a focused program of activity, um, what happens is that you focus, um, you focus people's attention and you make it possible to do more planning in a day or a couple of days 
than would normally take place in, in weeks or months uh, with the normal bureaucratic process. And I think that's, so that's one of the main advantages. It focuses everybody's attention and gets things done much more quickly and more effectively. And, and I guess the, the drawbacks associated with a community planning event, are there, are there any that come to mind? Um, I don't think there are, there are any particular drawbacks. Um, I mean, I think they, they shouldn't be seen as an alternative to the normal statutory planning process. You probably still need to go through um, the normal statutory process of giving people publishing plans and giving people four weeks or whatever it is to, to comment on them. Um, but... Um, no, I mean, apart from that, I think, I think they, they are a, a, a entirely a good thing. They're a win-win situation. So say some more about that, Nick. Are there opportunities when it really makes sense to do the community planning events as part of that larger strategic planning at the community level? Or should they always come at the beginning or at the end or the middle? Well, no, I think that you, you will have different kinds of events at different stages in the process. They can be relevant almost at any point, uh, but it, it clearly is important that the type of event is designed to fit in uh, with the particular moment in, in the overall strategic planning process. And that's something which, you know, experience uh, teaches one. But there's a lot of um, good examples in the book about, you know, how one can think through uh, what kind of event you want at, at what, at, for, for, for any particular stage in the planning process. Well, and that's a good segue to something I wanted to talk about, which is the, the five different kinds of events that you talk about in the book. Can you give us a brief thumbnail of, of the five different types that you've described? I think it starts on page 48 for those who are following along. Well, I've, in the book I've covered... I've covered uh, uh, five events, five different types, and it, these aren't really meant to be a comprehensive um, list of the types of events, but it's just a spectrum. Um, quite useful, I think, to consider. So first of all, we've, we've got the collaborative design workshop, uh, which is almost like a three-part event, which starts off with um, an open house evening, um, where... Uh, sort of, a, it's like an open house. You know, you just invite people in. You've got some display material, and you get people to respond to that. Uh, there's then a one-day kind of fairly intensive uh, design workshop, and then there's a third event a few days later where you have a report back session um, by the people who have then been doing work in the meantime. Um, we've then got the community planning weekend, which is extremely popular. Um, in the UK um, and has been developed by uh, one firm in particular called John Thompson and Partners. Um, and this tends to be a four or five day event uh, spanning a weekend. So it starts on a Thursday or Friday, runs through to the Monday or Tuesday. Um, and this is where most of the, you get a, a, a team of a multidisciplinary team of professionals which will effectively facilitate the event and the public are invited in at various times, particularly on the Friday and the, the Saturday for workshops and then on the Monday or the Tuesday night 
or kind of presentation by the team of what's proposed. So they're, they're a very intensive um, session. The inquiry by design process uh, has been developed by the Princess Foundation in this country. And this is actually very similar to the, the uh, American style charrette, I think. Uh, it mainly tends to be led by a multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary design team. Um, and then there are specific sessions for stakeholders um, and, and, and the public. Uh, then we have what we call a, what we call a re reinvigorate event. Um, this was designed by an organisation called uh, Bura, which is the British Urban Regeneration Association, which tends to be a one-day event, and you have a combination of local people, um, local stakeholders, and then you have people from outside the area who come in, almost as if they were attending a conference. And the two groups mix it together and take, take part in a process of workshops and presentations. And it's that combination which is, which is so interesting and, and leads to some interesting thoughts and ideas. And then finally, we've got a stakeholder participation day, uh, which is a one-day event, uh, usually on a, on a Saturday as a weekend to make sure you can get people there, uh, where you get a cross-section of, of of stakeholders in a particular uh, neighborhood and they spend a day, a fairly carefully structured day of workshops, uh, design workshops and um, briefing workshops and then kind of work through a program. And it's, it's a one day event and um, it's, it, this tends to be very popular within uh, statutory planning processes because it's kind of quite easy to organize. If someone would be looking at the different kinds of events, those five kinds, are there any particular factors that folks should be considering as they choose amongst them? Well, I think the main thing is that in each case, the people involved, the stakeholders, really need to think through very carefully what kind of event they want. And I would suggest that they don't actually choose one of those events, but they think through from, from a scratch, if you like, what kind of event they want, what, what they want to achieve, who needs to be involved, how much time they can afford to spend on it or they need to spend on it, and then the program will kind of emerge. But obviously you can use these, um, these five examples that we've, we've, we've given as kind of uh, templates in a way. You can say, well, this would be a good one. Let's start with one of these templates and then adjust it. But I think it really is something that has to be thought through in every particular situation. Tell us a little bit about the kinds of stakeholders who get involved in all of these kinds of events. Are there some, some general similarities across all of them? The stakeholders are likely to be uh, the local authorities, the neighborhood citizens groups, um, the statutory authorities, the police, uh, social services and so on. Uh, developers, uh, landowners, and so on. So yes, I think generally stakeholders are similar in, in most most places. But but obviously in some places it'll be slightly different. I've just worked on an event, for instance, which was um, mainly about providing facilities for young people. So various different stakeholder groups of young people um, were, were were very important in this particular case. So it can vary, obviously. 
from, from situation to situation. So now as the event is planned, no matter which, which type of event, um, you've talked about kind of four different kinds of groups that are involved, these, the local interests, the steering committee, the event team, and the supporting bodies. Um, can you talk just to us a little bit about how those, how those four kinds of, of interests, uh, how they work forward in, in planning and, and making the event take place? Again, it will vary from, from event to event and situation to situation. But, but uh, in this particular case, you've got local interests who are individuals and organizations at a local level. Um, the steering group or the host, if you like, for the event um, will very often be a steering group of various different interests. But sometimes it may be a particular group, like it might be a development trust or it might be a, um, you know, a heritage society. There might be some organization which naturally tends to take the lead. Uh, but more often it will be a partnership of, of a number of different organizations. Um, the facilitators in the event team tend to be specialists uh, from a, a variety of different disciplines, whatever disciplines are necessary uh, in the particular uh, situation and, and quite often the, the facilitators will be a professional team they might be a professional firm of architects or urban designers um, or it might just be a an individual uh, facilitator professional facilitator in some cases um, and then quite often that team will be supported by for instance, uh, officers in the local authorities, so for instance, a planning officer, housing officer, and so on, will be part of that facilitation team. Then the support bodies is, this is, this is something which doesn't necessarily always happen, but the development of these kind of events has often been through an, uh, you know, a national organization like a professional organization. So for instance, um, you know, as far as I know, the, the, the first events of this kind that I saw were uh, organized by the American Institute of Architects. And they had a special unit which used to organize these events all over the country. Um, they called them um, urban design assistance teams. And so they, they were the support body. They would support if a local town wanted to organize one of these events, uh, they would be able to provide support at, from a sort of national level. And there are organizations in most countries um, who will play that kind of role. And different organizations will organize different kinds of events, a bit like I mentioned earlier, so that the you know, British Urban Regeneration Association organizes certain kinds of events. And uh, and the um, Royal Institute of Art, British Architects will organise a slightly different kind of event, so um, people will be able to focus on different kinds of events. So, but these support bodies aren't necessarily always there, and in fact, particularly in times of recession, those kind of things tend to go by the wayside, which is a great pity. That that's a really great description, Nick. I, I think as you talk about the steering committee, it occurs that. Um, the, the committee chair, but really the lead of the steering committee, is such a key role. Could you talk a little bit about that for what do you look for in selecting someone who's going to, going to take that charge and really 
kind of lead that whole activity of planning and, and making the event take place? Well, it's extremely difficult to find somebody with with the right skills, I think, often. Um, but um, it is a very, very, as you say, very, very important role. Um, and it has to be someone who's comfortable with dealing with the issues that need to be dealt with. So, you know, if you're looking at, uh, you know, a large part of a city or a town, you have to have someone who really understands a bit about urban design, about transport planning, about how housing development works, property markets, and so on. So the, the, this person needs to have a certain amount of technical skills, um, but also needs to be very good at, if, if you like, dealing with people and dealing with teams, getting everybody to work as part of a team. Um, so being a very good chairman, very good chairperson. It's an extremely um, uh, demanding role. So I guess as we think through the whole process of, of planning the event and the selection of the chair, um, I want to kind of take a step back and, and think about who really initiates the idea of hosting the event or, or putting it on. Is, is there any um, influence or um, I guess the question is which of the, the stakeholder groups is really the one that initiates the event generally in your experience and, and what does that mean for how the event plays out? Well, I, I think basically it doesn't matter too much who comes up with the idea. Um, as long as all the key stakeholder organizations are uh, buy into it and agree that it's a good idea. Uh, very often I think the, the idea will come from people who've experienced doing them before because I think this is you know, very something I've observed very much is that once people have experienced these kind of events, they become keen and enthusiastic about them. And also, of course, they actually understand how to organize them. And this is why, for instance, um, you know, you may get certain um, professional groups like John Thompson and Partners that I mentioned earlier um, who will tend to kind of introduce those this kind of approach in their work when they're when they're invited to get involved in in a project or an issue um only because they've had experience of doing it before and they know how it works and then the same thing happened the you know the, the corollary of that is that people will approach them because they know they've got a reputation for doing that kind of work um but to go back to your question it doesn't in a sense it doesn't really matter who comes up with the idea and i think increasingly as these ideas as these kind of uh, this kind of activity becomes more and more popular and more common. Uh, people will be able to find information about it on uh, on the internet, on the websites, and so people will be coming at it from all kinds of different directions. And, you know, that raises a point. I've been on communityplanning.net and seen a variety of examples of all of these kinds of events that people have hosted. Could you talk a little bit about some of those case studies that are available? I, I think it's a terrific resource for someone who wants to say, here's how it was done in another location. Yes, I mean, we have, on communityplanning.net, we've got some fairly comprehensive, comprehensive examples of, uh, we've got at least one of each of the five types that we referred to um, earlier on. Um, and, um, and more and more, there are there is bits of footage and film from on YouTube, 
and so on. So, so, and we've actually got links on one of the sections of the website through to some of that film so that people can sort of shortcut. Uh, but I think that's going to happen more and more, that, is that people are getting information about their events up on the web and therefore other people will be able to see, you know, get a, a really good insight into how these things work. You know, one other point I want to ask about with the event uh, has to do with the timeline. So someone is, is considering having an event and they're doing their homework and they go on communityplanning.net and see other examples elsewhere. Um, what, how long generally, what is the timing horizon for really planning and doing a good, good event, whether it's the first type or you know, the, uh, the fifth type that, that we've talked about here today? Okay, well, I mean, again, that it varies depending on the complexity of the, the issue. Um, on, on most you know, major events which are looking at you know, neighborhood or a particular uh, issue in a city. I think, you know, I would say that you always need between two and four months to prepare it. Um, but you might actually want more than that. Um, because in a way, the process of getting the information together um, is part of the planning process in any case. So it's not as if it's time wasted. Um, and that in the preparatory stages, you may be having... Uh, you know, you may be getting all kinds of different stakeholder groups to be thinking about um, getting the information they need together, providing evidence for certain cases and so on. So bringing that information together, pulling everything together, is very much a part of the, the overall process of getting people to work together. So, you know, generally I think you do need several months. And you can do them, you can fast track them if you've got the resources, if you've got the people who can work on it flat out. But it's not, it's, I would generally not advise it. I think it's worth taking time. So one of the pieces that you've indicated in the book as being important is the public presentation. And, and I wasn't exactly clear in the book who's doing the presentation at the end of the, the weekend or the, you know, the planning event. Is it the public? Is it the steering group? Is it both? Is it an expert? Could you talk a little about that? Yeah, sure. Um, again, it will vary a bit. Sometimes the team, the technical team, will take very much a leading role um, in facilitating the various different workshops and in pulling together the case and the argument at the end. And so in that case, the, they, they would be presenting, the technical team would really present um, the solution, and that tends to happen in quite a lot of community planning weekends. Um, on other events, you actually get a situation where local people who are particularly keen or enthusiastic will emerge during the event, and very likely they will do the uh, presentation back at the end. Um, so it becomes, in a sense, more of a kind of political uh, presentation, which in some cases is very good. Sometimes it's quite useful to have technical presentations, and sometimes it's better to have um, what I'd call a political presentation. And so I guess are there instances where the public, uh, the members of, of the community, are, are offering their comments or their reactions to what's been discussed over the course of the event? 
Oh, of course, yes. No, I mean, once the presentation has been made, um, then, then uh, you know, obviously anybody there who's attending would would be able to say something and would be able to react to that presentation. But I think it's different from, say, the initial meetings in the event, which might be where uh, members of the public are just saying what they think. That would tend to happen at the beginning of the event. Um, the presentation at the end of the event is likely to be made by, well, should be made by people who have taken part in the whole of the event and therefore can kind of pull together the conclusions of that activity. Okay, and I guess that makes me think about the follow-up piece, which I really love that you wrote about. I think that's something that is often left by the wayside when people plan events and, and do stakeholder-based work. And I really love the flow of charts that you've included there in the appendix. Um, could you talk a little bit more about some of those specific follow-up approaches that you've, you've highlighted in the book? And, and I guess there's another piece of that. Any guidance along those lines that you can suggest to folks for planning an event? Okay. Well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is, yes, it's incredibly important that these events are planned within an overall context. So that, and I think in the past, there has been sometimes people who have organized an event, a community planning weekend or design day or something, and then they once they've done that, they think, oh, well, that's done, you know, and they don't realize that they have to do anything else. So effectively nothing happens. And sometimes that can, can mean that people don't even pull together the results of an event and uh, present it in, in a way that is useful to people. So I think it's very important to to think about, you know, what happens next. And so after the event, you know, who is going to take things forward? Who's going to be responsible for uh, pushing forward the recommendations that have come out of that event? Um, and, you know, one can organize different kind of methods for um, making that more systematic, like, for instance, having a report having a kind of, um, I can't really call it now, but like a revisit, um, say one year afterwards or six months after the event, you could get all the key people who took part to come back again uh, for an afternoon or something and just to review progress. Um, obviously, one can have project websites which will keep people informed um of of what's happening and i think that increasingly is is the way that people are doing things well and i guess one one follow-up to that thinking about the economy and the challenges that organizations face today with implementing these wonderful visions and and specific things that need to happen um could you talk a little bit about the, the value of, of allocating funding just for the follow-up piece well, I think the problem is that if there isn't... The important thing is that somebody must be charged with, um, with, with doing the follow-up, with, you know, whether it's organizing, um, a, you know, an annual evaluation meeting or a revisit of the team or organizing the website. Um, somebody has to be actually charged to do that, and that usually means that they have to be paid for. So I think that is the that is the issue where funding needs to be allocated for that. 
And you know, the chances are, if you've got to go back and make new applications for funding, it won't happen. So it's better to include that um, budgeting in the in the original budgeting for the event. You know, and I, I think in the book you highlight the value of I guess, thinking about the event itself, of uh, working with a range of supporting organizations that might be able to provide in-kind support. So as you're thinking through the planning of the event as well as the follow-on, what are some other creative ways that you can, you can really work with stakeholders and organizations there uh, in the community? Sure. And I mean, there are ways in which you can organize, um, get a lot of the things that need to be done as part of the uh, event by some of the stakeholder groups. You know, for instance, if you've got to have, um, you know, you've got to have venues, you've got to have meals, you know, you can get local organizations to take responsibility for doing some of those elements and providing them. So I think, and publicity, for instance, you know, can be done by local news news organisations. Uh, so there's an awful lot of scope for getting supporting kind, um, for getting sponsorship, for getting help. Um, and in a sense, the nature of the events, which is that they are about the future of the community, uh, lends itself, if you like, to to people getting involved and and playing an active role in it. So Nick, I know that your book has been translated into some different languages, and I think that's really cool in terms of making it accessible to a range of folks. Can you give us maybe a vignette or two about how these kinds of events have been used in other countries or cultures and, and how they, uh, they adapt in that way? Sure. Well, I think that, um, I mean, I think what I've found particularly fascinating is the way that the, the basic structure of the process seems to work in, in, in any country, in any culture. Um, but that um, in each country, people will customize it um, so that it fits within their particular planning laws, their particular cultures, and so on. Um, I mean, I just was, uh, last, uh, well, two weeks ago, I was in Slovakia. We were doing a workshop on how you organize. They were wanting to plan a community planning event um, to plan a piece of public open space in the middle of the town, and so they were looking at different ways of, of doing it. And we took we took people through a process planning workshop uh, so that they were able to think that through for themselves. Um, but they they were using um, a copy, an earlier version actually of the book, which had been published in in the, in the Czech language. Um, which was very helpful for them, and um, and I think that the, as I say, the way that I've tried to write the books is that they are um, they are um, applicable in in any particular culture or in any particular place. They're not they're not country specific. And I guess thinking about the report um, on the day of the event. And, and I really like being able to to see those examples that are there in, in video as well as in in um, in document format there on your website. Is it really difficult to do the report as you go along? Um, are there any particular pointers that you can offer about that as people start to prepare that while the event is taking place? Well, I always think it's worth thinking about the event record um, before the event so that you have a structure. Now, obviously, the event itself may take its own course, but if you think through a structure, of your report before 
the event and you think about collecting the right kind of information um, at the event, then it becomes much easier. Um, but again, I think that the one needs to try and simplify it as much as, as possible so that you have... Uh, well, I think all I like about an event record is that you try and put everything in it that might be useful for anybody working on the project in the future. So, you know, if somebody produces some exhibition material, you can put that in. If someone produces a PowerPoint, uh, you can break that up and put it in the report. So that uh, everything that has been produced for the event or, or at the event is available for people to look at later. So Nick, in closing, are there any particular resources that you could suggest for folks as they think about the possibility of hosting a community planning event? Okay, well, I would say that the, the, the first port of call is, is the community planning website, um, www.communityplanning.net. And in that website, you will find um, a contacts A to Z, websites A to Z, publications A to Z, and you will find a huge amount of uh, information available um, in, from different countries, from different uh, uh, cultures and so on, but there is a huge amount of material, and and that I would say is the best sort of point to start. Terrific, Nick. This has been wonderful. We appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and expertise with everyone. Um, I, I want to also mention Nick's book again, uh, Community Planning Event Manual: How to Use Collaborative Planning and Urban Design Events to Improve Your Environment, uh, and CommunityPlanning.net. That's two terrific resources for people. Thank you, Nick, for being our guest today and for sharing your knowledge and expertise with our listeners. I want to emphasize that uh, communityplanning.net has some wonderful materials there. It's a great resource, so check it out when you have an opportunity. And, of course, Nick's book, The Community Planning Event Manual, has a bevy of really practically oriented uh, information that uh, can be quite valuable as you think through uh, planning your community planning event. On behalf of Public Decisions, I'm Beth Offenbacher. Thanks for joining us.